And I learned really early on that you can't ride the fence, I call it. So let's say there's a fence between two neighbors' yards, right? And they're polar opposite point of views. You can't stay in the middle and say, yeah, that's kind of true and that's kind of true. Nobody cares. You really have to have some fire takes and you have to say, I fully believe this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of You're Not Your ROAS. Boy, do I have a screamer for you today. We have the CRO savant, John McDonald, coming from you hot from the, the PNW, um, Portland. How are you doing, John? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I was actually just up in your neck of the woods, semi. I was uh, actually out in Victoria. Um, oh, so okay. by way of Seattle, then to Vancouver, and then to Victoria. Um, yeah. You guys got something special up there in the PNW. It's it's pretty magical. It you know it, what's amazing is especially like in Portland, you are an hour from the ocean and the coast. You are an hour from a desert, a high desert, which is completely different. Obviously, Portland's essentially a rainforest. You're in this valley that you know is uh, pretty wet most of the year, but is just beautiful because of that. Uh, so, and then, you know, there's world-class skiing right around the corner. Yeah. We're on a mountain yeah. range. So it's just, uh, if you love the outdoors, this is, this is the place to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have a, a very good friend of mine that will die on the hill that Bend is one of the most magical places yeah. um, on the planet. I said Bend, Oregon I, is just, it really I call it a, uh, adult Disneyland is what I call yeah, Bend, Oregon it's, because yeah. <laughs> you just go and it's like, you want to go mountain biking? Great. You want to go on one of the best mountains in the West coast for skiing. Great. Hiking. Amazing. River rafting. Everything you want to do outdoors is there. And, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. It's, they have this amazing river that cuts through Bend that you yeah. can float down and it has some rapids yeah. that are, you know, my six year old one on the rapids. No problem. There you uh, go. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's, it's magical up there. I need to make more, more trips out because I've only passed through. I haven't actually came, but, uh, on the list, um, let's do it. So you have an incredible book on CRO. You have an incredible agency on CRO and we'll get into all that stuff, but you went to MIT. What'd you study there? Yeah. So I am doing a MBA through MIT right now that is, through an organization called Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. You may have heard yeah, of like yeah, YPO, yeah, yeah. EO, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So MIT and EO have this partnership for this program called the Entrepreneurial Master's Program. And yep. the idea behind it is that in order to be an EO, you have to qualify, right? And then get voted yep. on by peers to be in. Uh, it's a peer group. Um, yep. And then there's another level to that where they offer these educational programs that are kind of, you have to apply again and get accepted. And um, the idea behind the one with MIT is pretty clear. You already know how to run a business. You have a successful business. Let's skip the BS classes that are typically part of an MBA and just yeah. cut to the chase. What are the, the core things that are really going to provide you value? And what that looks like is you essentially walk out of there uh, in three years going on campus for one week a year. And now there's other stuff you do in between, but it's not anywhere near as intense as a full MBA program because you are learning on the job every single day you're doing your business. I love that. And they skip, you know, you already know how to, what a PNL is. You already know basic yeah. accounting. Let's not do those classes. That's a waste of time. 
let's just focus on the on the thing. So it's primarily lecture based, and they bring in folks to do two to three hour lectures. And, um, you know, it's everything from hiring to culture <laughs> to, um, you know, whatever you whatever you want there. It's amazing. We did a whole thing on, on mergers and acquisitions. Um, it's How just, cool. it's been life changing. So that sounds amazing. I, I might need to level up with that. That sounds super cool. So uh, I do some pretty extensive research before I bring on guests. And uh, one of my due diligence came about uh, a Olympic medal emoji and then an MMA um, or not MMA, the uh, martial arts emoji mm -hmm. in your Twitter profile. Can you tell yeah. me wh what that's about? Yeah. It, you know, what's hilarious. You're the first person to ask me about that um, on a podcast. <laughs> so kudos for that. And, and yes. great job on the research. Uh, yeah. So I look, I've been a lifelong athlete. I'm I'm six foot seven. I've played college basketball. I still play on a, a competitive team uh, with a bunch of, you know, forty year olds who all think we're still in college and have that ability. Uh, but we travel around the country playing other competitive adult teams. It's it's amazing. Uh, but when I was younger, I kind of got my athletic feet under me doing taekwondo, and yep. I did it for a number of years. And it started out kind of on a whim. I was inspired by Karate Kid. I just loved the movie for some yes. reason. And my parents, right? And my parents were like, okay, what do we do? Like, let's find Sweep karate classes leg. for them. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, and so it, it was, you know, one of those things where uh, my parents, you know, put me in class uh, at a young age. I took to it and um, really quickly kind of decided I wanted to be competitive with it. And ended up fighting for the U.S. Uh, Junior Olympics team and um, won a couple of golds and a silver over the course of a number yeah. of years. And uh, eventually gave it up to play basketball because, yep. you know, there's no college scholarships for for uh, karate. Or if there are, yeah. there weren't back then. Uh, and the reality is, I you know, at the time, you kind of aged out of it. Now it's pretty clear yeah. there's MMA, there's all these other things. But I remember when I was first, you know, talking about MMA, when I was first uh, looking at kind of moving on from uh, Taekwondo, everybody was getting into at the time it was Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. And it was the Gracie yeah. family. And yeah. if you remember the very first, the Octagon MMA fights, they were one of the ones that, that came in. They had the standing family challenge. If you beat them, anyone in their family at any time, you got a million. It was a million dollars or something. It was ridiculous. Something like that. Yeah, they yeah. never lost. Um, and I just remember watching the pay per view, the very first fights, and like, like I know that guy. He he's been he's been in our gym. Like this is awesome. <laughs> um, but I did not want my face bashed in in an octagon. So I was like, I'll just play basketball. That seems a lot more reasonable. Yeah. Since yep. then, I've had Especially knee surgeries, shoulder surgeries. I've broken my nose. <laughs> so I probably should have just stuck with with MMA anyways. <laughs> the, same, the same amount of impact on the body. But yeah, uh, especially too, there's there's a, that old adage, like you can't teach height, right? Or it's like, because mm. I, I wanted to play basketball. Um, I loved basketball when I was growing up. And I'm, I'm like 5'9", I tell the girls I'm 5'10". And uh, short arms, you know, 28-inch vertical. It's nothing. I'm fairly athletic, but I just started, as I got older, I, I, one, I hated to lose. And then two, I realized... I should probably play games I can win at where I was technically better than all these people, but just the, the physicalities of like 
a long, lanky, six seven guy, you blast past yeah. them, and then somehow they still block your shot, kind of stuff. It was just so demoralizing. Where it's like, I'm out. I, I'm playing yeah. games. Soccer is much better suited to me than than basketball. But uh, great sport. We all we all find where our talents are best utilized, right? Yeah. And uh, when you're six seven, there's very little uh you know that is comfortable in life being on the basketball court is one of them <laughs> flying in airplanes like i do all the time i in fact i have to go to singapore in, in two days oh I'm not looking forward brutal. to being on an airplane for 24 hours so that's brutal do you go you go west then yeah west and down or do you come uh let's see I, I have to fly up to seattle seattle to seoul and then seoul over yeah, so, to singapore so so yeah you're gonna go west versus east mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in Texas, so I'm, I, ca- I catch both ends of it. There's no way yeah. to really skip around. You either go to LA or New York to get across. But yeah. Um, yeah. so you have a pretty uh, prominent, pretty famous, pretty awesome book. What was what's yeah. the book called? How can people get it? And then what was it like writing a book? Was this just like a compilation yeah. of all of your kind mm-hmm. of blog posts, essays? Was this just a brain dump of like? you want to make the world better because there's so many crappy websites that aren't practicing what you preach. Like, tell me about it. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you hit on a good point there, which is our mission at the good is to remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good remain. That's the genesis of the name Ah, of the company. Uh, And so this definitely fits in with, uh, you know, our, our mission there. Um, the book is called Opting Into Optimization. And, uh, you know, it was about a year of writing. I kind of went into COVID and was like, how can I make the most use of this? I have so much extra time oh, now. I love that. I'm not traveling. I'm not, not doing as many speaking engagements that I need to travel to. Everything's gone digital. So what, how, if I come out of this and, and I look back and I said, I use this time wisely, what is one of the things that I could do? And I said, you know what? I, I should write another book. This is actually my second. Um, I have one called oh, really? Stop Marketing, Start Selling uh, that I oh, wrote I back yep. uh, a number of years ago. Um, and that was very tactical focused. That was, you know, here are the things you're doing wrong and here's the things you need to do right. And uh, very, very tactical. How to interview customers, how to, you know, um, be thinking about A-B testing, Right. This is this book is much more theory based. It's much more the principles, the the key items that you need to be thinking about to have a successful e-commerce business and all based around optimization. And it takes, you know, we've been in business 14 years now uh, doing optimization before the term conversion rate optimization was really big. I mean, when we started that nobody we didn't call ourselves a CRO firm. Um, it just, that word didn't exist, that term. And, you know, it kind of, we've been able to ride that wave. It's kind of grown up with us. But uh, the idea behind this book was much more, what have we learned? And what are the core principles? And if brands follow these core principles, they will be successful. And that's what we've noticed across the hundreds of brands we've worked with. What are the core principles that they, the successful ones, latch on to? And uh, how can we share that with everybody? So that was really the basis of the book. I was very fortunate with the book to um, have some great folks that I could interview for it, uh, get some great uh, advanced praise, and um, really kind of get a good, nice little boost from from the community, right? That direct-to-consumer yeah. community, especially the DTC folks that you guys at Triple Whale know so well. 
Yeah, no, uh, on the lander, you have some serious social proof. You have Sharma, Kristen, uh, a bunch of the hitters in the space where it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very cool. That's so crazy. So you're the, you're a bit of the COVID meme then, right? Cause that, that was yeah. a bit of a joke where it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to write a book. You literally yeah. did. Yeah. I, you know, incredible. it's interesting. It's something I've wanted to do in a second book for a while. Right. But I never really had the time. And you know, we produce so much content at the good. We have amazing marketing team. We're we're writing a couple thousand words a week and of you know high value stuff that's specific to, generally to e-commerce optimization, but sometimes yep. SaaS. Uh, and learnings of you know every test we run, we we try to share as much as we are allowed to share uh, right. through our client base. Um, but you know, again, this is really focused on the principles that folks need to to really understand. And it's been it's been wildly successful. It was a bestseller on Amazon for uh, yep. about a month. Um, you know, it we sell a handful of copies every week that directly outside of Amazon. The book has more than paid for itself. We've landed a handful of clients based on on the book. Um, you know, we're working like with giant bicycles, helping them optimize their site. They found us by reading the book and it got passed around the office. And then I got a call from, from the VP of e-com like, Hey, read your book. This is great. Let's chat. Um, so, you know, the world's largest bicycle manufacturer read the book. I was like, this is how, how can you pass this up? Right. Let's, uh, I'm glad I spent that time, you know, whether I'm a meme or not, it, it worked out really, really well. So I'm excited. No, no, I, I don't mean that in a pejorative. I mean that. Oh, like no, no, the, no, of course the, not. The most superlative way of like, that's yeah. incredible where um, I, I think that there's, you know, that when we were hiring people, that was one of the questions I asked is like, kind of how did they deal with COVID and not like yeah. politics aside, but just like yeah, when course. you encounter like a, a really big, you know, in in a way, traumatic event where it was just this seismic shift of time, space, connection, like everything that really makes the world go round, literally stopped. And like, how did you deal with that? So, I, that I think that's so cool that you came out with that. Uh, one more question on the book because I saw I, uh, I'm a big Audible guy. Um, did you read the book or did you get somebody to read it? You I did because you sound fantastic. You have a wonderful voice, and sometimes Thank the you. authors uh, that fantastic writers but sometimes they'll read their book and i'm like oh man yeah. so that's cool what was that like was that hard or did you just knock it out like a, way a more days difficult in a studio than, okay yeah way more difficult than i thought it was going to be i thought i would just sit down look i do podcasts all the time i do videos like i'll just sit down and read the book and i'll you know a few hours i'm out the door send it to an editor we're good and yeah. I ended up doing the first take and I was like, this is garbage. I really need to, I need to work on this. <laughs> and um, I went out and I found a voice coach and uh, I found somebody who professionally reads books. That's, that's what she does for a living. And um, I just put it out on Twitter. Like, Hey, I'm, I want to read my book who, you know, and I need a coach who should I talk to and ended up getting a great recommendation from a couple audio engineers who do nothing but help people produce books. And they said, these are the folks you need to talk to. I spoke to a couple of them, chose this one lady that I had a good connection with. She was super helpful. So she's like, I'll tell you what, I'm not even going to talk to you. Just read a chapter again, like you think you should read it and send it to me along with um, a PDF of the book. And I'm going to take notes on, on that chapter of what I think you should change. And it came back with so many notes. And I was like, okay, I'm glad I did this because I learned so much going through that. And um, 
I don't know that I would do it again, quite honestly, because it did take me in the end, it was probably a good 40 hours all in all said and done. Wow. Um, wow. And so it's a lot of effort when done right. And um, I don't know that the return is there on 40 hours of my time, but yeah. uh, the fact that you enjoyed it, I guess, is a, is a bonus, right? That's, that's yeah. really why I did it because I didn't want someone else reading my work. I just didn't feel like they'd be able to, uh, to get it across as much as I would. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I love that. Um, man, you sound like you have so many things going on. You're running the good, you're hooping, you're doing all these things. How do you stay focused? Like, what do you, is there frameworks you use? Is there like, what do you do to schedule your day, week, month? Like, how do you see, uh, how do you allocate your time essentially? Is there, is there any tips you can give out to people, especially me in in specific? I am drowning trying to figure out so selfishly. That's one of the, the best hacks of having a podcast is you get to non-creepily ask insanely smart people like yourself um, for advice. So yeah. what time of like time management do you use? You know, um, there's this great exercise and I'm actually, I have a Twitter third draft that I should probably finish it soon. Uh, maybe this will give me the push to do it. But there's a, there's a great exercise that I did that was just life-changing for me. Um, I'll call it like stoplight. Right. So every 15 minutes of take one week, every 15 minutes during the workday, whatever you're doing, stop for just a second and write, write it down. Not a huge paragraph, just like really quick, like a blog post, writing blog post, editing something or, you know, emailing new business, whatever it might be. Right. And then at the end of the day, look at that list and say, okay, which of these did I enjoy doing and are in my let's just call it like zone of genius that I'm, I'm uniquely qualified. I love that term. Okay. And give those a green. Okay. Those are things that you should probably keep doing because you're, you're uniquely qualified to provide value there and you enjoy doing it. A yellow is, yeah, I'm okay at this. I'm good at it. Um, Maybe I don't enjoy it as much, but like, uh, you know, these are things I should probably hand off. I could hand off and they'd get done just as well. Okay. And then a red is, I absolutely hate doing this. I delay it every time. I just put it back on the list next day. Or I'm really not good at this, but like for some reason, I've, it's fallen on my plate and I just need to get it done. Um, a lot of business owners, it's like, you know, when they start out, it's like invoicing, accounting, those things where they're just like, yeah. they don't collect the money because they just hate doing that paperwork, right? Um, so look at that list at the end of the week and the first thing, take everything that is read and copy and paste that into a job description for an assistant and go out and hire oh, an executive that's assistant. Big brain moves. Right. I and so that. now you automatically have a job description. You're not fumbling around looking on the internet, job descriptions. You're saying, these are the things that I need you to do. And if you can do these things, then the job's yours. And you also now have some trials if you want to test them out with some individual projects. You have some ideas of what you can do with them. So once you have everything on that red list documented, that's really the key too, right? Uh, we, you know, I, I tell my team all the time that uh, documentation is my love language. Like yeah. if they write some <laughs> documents, right? I'm all about it. I'm like, you went employee of the week because you wrote this documentation. We use Notion and... Um, you know, I just had my EA kind of reorganize our notion because I couldn't find stuff because it's getting that massive with documentation, which is awesome. Right. Um, 
and it needed a librarian basically to help catalog everything, get it all, get it all organized. Um, so once you have that list, document the items and then, uh, you know, it could be a, just do a video on loom, right. Yep. And then have that EA take that video on loom and write out the steps and do screenshots. Right. So you don't have to get it a hundred percent. Um, so that's, that was really the initial key for me. Once I did that, I also realized I need to let go. Um, I'm, I'm typically very competitive. Um, I'm really wound tight. Like I just, I'm like, I'm going to knock this list out today. I'm going to get it done. That's a sense of accomplishment for me. I had to let go a little bit and be like, you know what? Done is better than perfect on a lot of things. And that's okay. Um, Also, you know what? I'm trying to hire people who are better than me at everything. And so if I'm going to actually follow that and trust the team, great. Here's the goal. How you get there, as long as it's within our core values and it's aligned with our company morals, et cetera, get it done. I don't care how you get it done. I don't care when you do it. Yep. Uh, in terms of you know, like if you stay up all night and you want to sleep all day, that's up to you. I don't care. But just hit that goal. And uh, at that point, things you know started really falling off my plate and I started getting a lot more done. Having time to write a book, right? Um, besides COVID, but like having time to yep. disappear at a conference or go to Singapore for a week yep. for, for, you know, work, um, and not have to worry about what is, uh, what's going on, uh, with the company as much. Um, also one of the keys for us has been EOS. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with EOS yeah. it's entrepreneurial yeah, operating system. Yeah, We run our meetings that we, we, so- semi adopt that we run all like all of our meetings are using the l10 template um, yep. but we're not mm-hmm. like totally into the eos yet uh, but we yeah. have a lot of big proponents it's really strong uh uh sean over at kuru uh the footwear company he's the one that yeah. turned me on to it and it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic it really is strong um for for people that don't know it's it's essentially an operating system to, to run your business, the entrepreneurial operating system. And it's, it's actually really strong. It's really, really cool. And the, the L10 meetings for me have been transformative because meetings are like the bane of my existence. But once you kind of get into like a leadership slash executive role, there's just the, uh, you know, nature of the beast. Like you have to find some sort, there, there's only, async can only go as far, right? Like you, yeah. you definitely should be at least meeting with your lieutenants maybe once bi-weekly at worst, you know, like there's a certain aspect of like your lieutenants are going to have questions. Like they, they, they need some sort of interaction with you. You can't just do everything super remote and, and maybe in some instances, but for the most part, like I meet with all my direct reports and I, I think that there's, it's just, a, it's an impossibility to think that you can not, you can be in leadership and not have meetings. Maybe when you have the exit and you're, you're on a, like an earn out or something, they just want to keep you. <laughs> I don't know. I would say I have that, some but... friends who have recently done that and uh, it only gets worse. Now they're told to be at a meeting instead of being able to tell people to come to a meeting. So their their lives have, have not necessarily gotten better financially. Yes. Uh, but freedom they lost. They gave up some of that freedom for that earnout period. So uh, it comes with it. But but yeah, yeah, yes, has been transformative for us. And I would say I don't know anyone who runs EOS uh, pure, like as yep. prescribed. We we take liberties with it as well. And um, that was one of our big things when we had a discussion about implementing it was, hey, we don't want to follow this to the T because it's not in line with right. who we are with our culture. 
but Same. there are aspects we want to steal from. And uh, so I tell people we're running US because you know we're running more of it than we're not. But we did yep. leave things, some things out that we just felt like weren't weren't um, ideal for our situation, and that's been great. It's been amazing. Yep. No, it's super eloquently put. That's kind of same, same, but different here as well. Um, okay, one more question for you, John. We'll wrap up the main segment. What is the nicest thing someone has done for you? Ooh, nicest thing someone has done for me. That's a great question. Um, I would say. Um, well, I'd say my wife marrying me is probably oh, one of the nicest things um, that someone's done for me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I'm, a, I love it. I'm a lot to handle with work, right? I, I dive right in, um, having a child at home, maintaining the house. Uh, and my wife works for, she's worked for 17 years for a tech startup, is one of the oh, wow. employee number seven, I think. And now they have over 2,000. So um, oh, wow. she's been there for, for a long time, kind of a... Um, a, uh, an encyclopedia of that company so that's been that's yeah. been great to to watch that go as well but yeah i i would say that uh you know that's probably where i would start i love that shout out miss mcdonald it's fantastic yeah. <laughs> all right time for the value add segment this is why people bought the ticket all right here we mm -hmm. go so we kind of touched on this about why it's called the good but why did you start it? Why did you start it? Like, how did you get into CRO? How did you build mm -hmm. such a behemoth? Like some of your client list is like the who's who of the fortune 100 fortune 500. Like yeah. you, you have a pretty, pretty impressive roster. So how did you get there? Well, it's uh it's been a journey again. That's, that's 14 going on 15 years. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. certainly not overnight. Um, look, we started out as a development firm. So, uh, undergrad, I have a computer science and a visual arts dual degree, which two departments that never talk to each other. And somehow I managed to get them to, to talk to each other. Uh, and the reason that happened was because computer science, I would complete the assignment and then I would spend another four hours working on the interface, the UX, the UI, and would make it look great and work great instead of just having like a, a buttons all over the place that did whatever we needed to have it do. Um, I would make sure it was a usable interface. And I loved that aspect. And one of my professors at the time was like, hey, have you thought about doing some like graphic art stuff? Because that's going to come into play here. Well, that later turned into um, HCI, human computer interaction, along yeah. with development. And that really at the time, I, I graduated college in 2003. So it was right around that, you know, uh, big bump time for tech. I... Yeah. Basically, at that point, I was like, well, I need to be working on the web. Like, I need to be yeah. building interfaces and applications that are that are now called SaaS, et cetera. And um, so I went and actually worked with the management consulting firm. Um, and that was awesome because I was able to take really complicated things and turn them into a, a great usable interface that would help people mm -hmm. understand what we needed to convey. Um, doing things like we worked with Harley-Davidson. Over basically took their entire uh, manufacturing line and helped break down what would happen at every station and turn that into an interactive so uh, tool. So a new employee would come in, could learn about every single station, and then uh, where they fit into that process. Um, so things of that sort was was kind of what we were doing. Um, that company sold, uh, and uh, when that happened, I was like. This is a good chance for me to to take my my stake and uh, 
reinvest in myself. And so I decided to start the good. We, um, again, I really wanted to focus on turning bad experiences into good ones. Again, at the time, there was no optimization. There was no conversion rate optimization, let's say. What I was able to do, though, was e-commerce development. That was a huge opportunity. Look, I mean, I'm six seven as we talked about. I wear a size 15 shoe. Buying <laughs> shoes online, impossible at the time. It near, and you couldn't even go online and filter by size, right? This was just like, you know, take it or leave it, basically. It was really a pain in the butt. And I was like, I can solve this. Like, this is something like, you know, we can solve. Um, and, and that story is actually how we started working with Nike back in the day. Um, besides them being in our backyard, it was kind of like, I just started hitting them up, like buying shoes off your website is horrible. Can we please help you with this? Um, and I, I don't know if I was just annoying or super passionate or what, but they decided to meet with us. and, And next thing you know, um, and the reality though is, uh, development in terms of actual development was becoming a commodity pretty quick. And now it's, you know, there's Shopify, there's WooCommerce, all these that are plug and play super easy. And I'm thankful for that. That's awesome. Let more people into the game, right? But at the time, we were trying to build sites and clients, you know, they didn't really care about the quality of the code. Um, They cared about the outcome, right? And they couldn't see behind the curtain, right? So they were like, it could have been two tin cans with a string between it and they would have been happy, (laughs) right? It was like, as long as it processed orders and people bought things, it was great, right? And And here we were employing, you know, high-end developers and I was taking a lot of pride in it because I had a computer science degree and I was like, this this needs to be done well. And um, so what I found was we just couldn't compete on cost because everything was going overseas and development was getting cheaper. It was a commodity. So I went around and interviewed all of our clients and I said, okay, you're one of our bigger clients. I want to know why you chose to work with us. And I kept hearing it over and over again. They all chose to work with us because I had built into every contract a three-month optimization period after launch. And they said, it wasn't that you could build us a website. Anyone could have done that. It was that you required us to do this three months of optimization after. And our philosophy on that was we were going to listen to consumers, watch analytics, and see how they were using it, and potentially adjust the site to be more uh, performance-based. And I did that for a couple of reasons. The reason I just stated, right? Better performance, better experience. Yeah. But also to set my team up for success. Because most, most agencies at the time would do what I, I would call launch and leave. They would yes. launch a website and then they say, okay, we fulfilled the contract. See you later. And they'd walk away. And the client would be there like, I guess there's maybe there's some bugs. I'll find someone to help me with those or I'll re-engage you to fix those. But, you know, if it's not performing like, our old site or like I think it should, then people, you know, would see site performance decrease on revenue, everything else. Really what, what I decided at that point was pretty clear. Clients were telling me that they wanted that optimization and yeah. they didn't care about the development. So I said, okay, well, let's just pivot into that exclusively. And at the time, there were very few people doing this. Um, there was conversion rate experts out of the UK uh, was probably one of the only ones that I knew about. Eventually, yep. like Wider Funnel, you were talking about uh, British Columbia. They're out of Vancouver. Yep. Uh, I think they just sold, actually. Um, so there was no, you know, everyone knows about Conversion XL, CXL, that stuff. They weren't, they weren't yep. even around at that point. 
um, yep. at least not in the iteration that they were for years, right? So the nice thing is, is that we kind of had a unique advantage and that that was all we did. So when people started looking for help around optimizing their consumer experience, they would find us. So that was the, the impetus for our growth. And that unique pivot at the time, very few agencies were saying, we focus on this horizontal and this vertical, and this is where we can be best at and help you. And um, we were turning more work away than we were taking because we were like, you know, we, we can't help you. We don't build websites anymore. Or, yep. you know, we're not a design shop. Or, you know, it was like, we focus, come back to me after the site's launched. Right? And yep. there was a lot of those type of conversations for a while. Um, I took an agency that was over 20 people, uh, 20 developers, and, um, and brought it down to like three of us at one point during the yep. start of that pivot. And that was probably the hardest part out of it, not making the decision. Right. The hardest part was uh, helping people transition that, yeah. look, we're not doing back-end development anymore. We need to find you another role someplace else because it's not yeah. not what we're doing. And um, so helping people transition out, scaling down, and then rebuilding back up Um you know, was, was a fun journey in the end. It sucked to start, but after that, it was, it was a lot of fun, um, to build up and use all the lessons from the prior two years to do it again, the right way. Um, or, you know, with those learnings in tow. So, um, yeah, being in a unique focused, um, having a great niche was really the emphasis for us growing. And, um, here we are, you know, almost 15 years later and, uh, like you said, we've been very fortunate to work with some big brands along the way. What a cool Genesis story. I didn't know any of that. That is really interesting too, where I really like the idea of one, talking to your customers and understanding like, hey, this is really what they're valuing. Because I think that can mm -hmm. be the challenge sometimes where when people want to give you money, you usually want to take it. Where it's like, there's a certain breakdown to that philosophy where once people feel like they're like too long, didn't read. I think the best businesses are really value for value. Like there's definitely some arbitrage where if you can get, you know, get over on people, whatever, you're going to make some money, mm -hmm. but eventually I think that catches up to businesses. Whereas yeah. ultimately like the big businesses that are going to really succeed and thrive are the ones that are generating value on the vectors mm -hmm. that the customer actually cares about, not what the perception of the care is. And I think that's such an astute point to understand, hey, these people don't really care about the dev, they care about the output. And like, what's closer to the output, the optimization versus actually building the building, and then let somebody else do that. Because to your point as well, it's a lot easier to, or not easier, but it did get like development did get commoditized, right? Like it mm -hmm. just was what it was. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just was. And so why, why do you want to play in a market that is going to just be first to zero essentially? And so yep. now you actually have some pricing control where you can generate oh, value for 100%. these people and narrative build and do these things that, um, and quite frankly, it's a better business model because that like three month period to your point, sets your team up for success where I, I love that. I, I just had that kind of almost, like analogy or not analogy, but visual of like a lot of times people will get this new, fancy, amazing website. And it's almost like just getting dropped off in the jungle in Vietnam and you see the chopper leave and you're like, 
what now? It's real, <laughs> okay, it's real cool. now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do now? The the sun's kind of coming down. You're hearing like twigs snap. Like, okay, how, how do I do this? I really, that's a really cool, and just the, the amount of work that you can actually accomplish in three, when you have a quarter of runway it is, is yeah. vastly superior to what um, you can do because you don't have this like, Oh, it needs to get done yesterday. What have you done for me lately? It's like, okay, cool. There's this whole runway that we can do to make sure that you're going to get the best out of this experience. I really like that yeah. thinking. That's, that's sensational. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. What was your first hire at the good? Oh, good question. Um, 15 years ago now. Let's see. I would say first hire was actually marketing. Um, oh, really? Yeah. All right. Because when you have a small niche, the key is to be, uh, I don't know, it's kind of douchey, but thought leader, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, yep. need, you need to have insights, right? Yep. You can't just go out and spout best practices all over the place. I mean, one of the chapters in the book actually is the best practices are for beginners. And it's true. Yes, so um, well put. Because the reality is if you're a beginner, you can go on Twitter and spout best practices all day. Um, and just repeat what other parrot, what other people say. Um, the reality is if you really want to move the needle for your, your clients and you want clients to know that you are worth paying more than, than what non niched people will charge, you know, that we go up against a ton of agencies, big agencies that, uh, have one person on their staff that is their, their CRO expert, right? Right. The reality is that one person can never do what an entire team of focused CRO folks can do, where we have people that do nothing but data analysis, nothing but user testing, nothing but test development. Asking one person to do all of the things that are in CRO, impossible. It's just impossible. they can't be, can't do it all, can't be good at it all. Um, so I think the biggest issue is, is really when it comes down to it is just, um, you know, when you are focused, you need to be able to produce good insights. And the only way you're going to get those insights is from solving the same problems time and time again. But when that. you get those problems and you start to see patterns, at that point, you need to share those patterns. You need to say, yep. I'm seeing this time and again. Here's the insight and here's what works out of that. And if you, you know how like in high school math you used to be like, you have to show your work. Yeah, well, proof. It's, your proof. It's the exact same thing here, right? You got to show your proof, your work in your writing, in your thinking. You can't just say one sentence, this is what you should do. Okay, well, why should I do that? Where's the evidence? How'd you get to that conclusion? Real, real experts can have that conversation and can tell you how they got to that, that. Uh, that point of view. And, um, and I learned really early on that... Um, you can't ride the fence, I call it. So let's say yep. there's a fence between two neighbors' yards, right? And they're polar opposite point of views. You can't just take one, you can't stay in the middle and say, yeah, that's kind of true and that's kind of true. Nobody cares. You yep. really have to have some fire takes and you have to say, I fully believe this. I mean, I'm known on Twitter as the guy who hates pop ups. And yep. that's fine. I'm okay with that. I will die on that stake because the reality is, yeah, that means that, well, I won't name companies, but some companies now refuse to partner with us and have me on their podcast again, et cetera. And I'm okay with that because 
you're going to upset some people, but you're going to have raving fans on the other side. And that's okay. Um, Now, again, within core values and morals and and everything else, but the reality is that those fire takes, if you will call them that, are based on a journey of what we've learned. And I see it time, I see the pattern time and time again. So why would I not say this is the pattern I'm seeing? And this is the truth that I have. And I feel, yes, there are tools out there that help you do pop-ups. And yeah, they're trying to sell you pop-ups because that's their tool. So they're going to say it improves conversions. It, you know, you know, whatever. But I mean, the reality on this is it's just, yeah, pop-ups, they collect email addresses. Yep. How good are those email addresses, right? Uh, I don't know. I won't get, I won't dive into that here. It's probably not the best venue for it, but (laughs) you know, I could get on a soapbox for an hour about that. But the reality here, you need to not, you know, don't, don't mess around in that middle, take a stance, um, and state your truth and be okay with that and know that's, what's going to happen. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. I love that. And I think there's something to be said, kind of like, the fence riding metaphor of like a friend to everyone's a friend to no one. Like you, you really need to figure out like, and I love that you caveated that within your company morals, your values. Like this isn't like you're just going and shitting on people for, for just being a douche sake. This is like, Hey, this is the data we've seen. These are the insights that we have. If there's better data out there, show it to me and I'll change my mind. But this is why I like, and I think you, I love that line of, uh, best practices are for beginners. I think that's such, that's a, that's a zinger right there because it's so true where when you talk to somebody that had like very rarely in life is it black and white and there's always nuance. And so like for X business and Y goal, that might not be, you can't just layer on best practices. There's always, what's the goal? What's the business model? There's so much context to a lot of these decisions and being able to walk somebody through your proof and, walk somebody through why you built that narrative is really to me a sign of uh mastery and i think mm-hmm. that's that's what you're talking about there it's just so prescient i love it i love it and that's uh, why you know people go back to saying if you can teach it you've yes. you've gotten another level of understanding the Feynman technique yeah the Feynman mm-hmm. technique i found that to be really helpful where because it also when i'm teaching somebody it'll essentially remind me why kind of bring back to beginner's mind of why I believe that or why I think it is the way it is. And if I can't teach it to somebody, then I know uh, I'm just hiding in like complexities or fancy words or whatever. It's like, no, if it's, if it's real, you can explain to somebody without having, you know, all this background where it's like, Oh, I get it. Uh, A bit of like explain like I'm five. So I I think that's so spot on totally in your boat. Okay. One more question. And then we'll get into the rapid fire. Um, how do you see the next two to three years unfolding for e-commerce in specific mm-hmm. kind of D to C where um, it looks like we're probably on the cusp of some sort of recession or at least some, mm-hmm. you know, economic headwinds. Um, all the tech stocks have just been, especially a lot of like, I mean, Shopify, for example, tons of haircuts going around mm-hmm. Twilio, all these big tech giants that were, you know, flying high of seeing 60, 70, 80% of market cap evaporate. Mm-hmm what do you see the next two to three years of e-commerce? Like where, where is it going? What's unfolding? Is there any cool takeaways? Well, look, I think that a lot of companies um, mistakenly took the bet that e-commerce was going to ride high, continue to ride high post COVID. Right. Now 
e-commerce definitely had a jump in COVID. It was great. Yep. Uh, we rode that wave too. Um, yep. But what we didn't do is at the good is we didn't go out and just double our staff, yep. right? We just, quite honestly, we just raised our prices. We were like, okay, yep. we'll, we'll work with less people <laughs> and we'll just raise our prices, right? Um, and the reality of that was that so many brands, all the ones you mentioned, uh, plus more, went out and just staffed up instead of yeah. saying, you know what, let's ride this out. Let's make a few other changes. Maybe we have to hire a little bit. But like, the reality is, is that that curve is still going in the right direction. E-commerce, yes. it had a blip, right, where it popped up and now it's back down, but it's still on the same curve. And yep. uh, e-commerce is still growing. It's, you know, recession, no recession, it's still going to grow. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, when a recession happens, it's actually great. I've been in you know, 15 years. I've seen two or three recessions already. They get easier every time. Uh, <laughs> you don't panic about it. You don't worry about it anymore. You're just like, I'm going to get through it and I'll yep. be a better company at the end. And yes. that's really should that's be beautiful. your goal. You shouldn't yeah. be worried about what's going to happen. You should say, okay, something happens. I'm going to, I'll be okay with it and move on. I, one tip that I kind of found out of this for business owners is um, coming out of the first recession, um, I was like, didn't, wasn't prepared, didn't have a plan, right? Yeah. Lesson from that was write a plan and have a plan in an envelope, seal the envelope, put it in your desk drawer. When a recession hits, pull that envelope out and follow the plan. Don't that's brilliant because it's gonna you're gonna be so stressed out and so worried about what to do, what's the right decision, et cetera. Form that plan when you have a clear head and things are going great. So you can look at that and say, where do I want to be in five years or two years, whatever, right? And you look at that and you say, Okay, so if a recession hits and I need to find a way to cut costs or pivot a little bit. I still want yep. to be at that goal of two and five years or whatever that is, right? Yep. So I'm going to make a plan now of what I can do that isn't going to kneecap me from from doing that goal later, right? Or achieving that, that after the recession. Yep. Um, but when you're in it, you're you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking how I'm going to make the next payroll or whatever, right? So generally, um, as a younger business, I found that to be incredibly insightful. The second time it came around, Super easy. I pulled the envelope out, acted on my plan, and became a better business for it. By the time the third one, a COVID first hit, came around, didn't have to think about it. Knew exactly what we needed to do. Knew exactly what we we wanted to cut. Uh, thankfully for us, um, being in e-commerce, you know, we got hit way before everyone in the United States got hit, and yep. that was because supply chain shut down. Right, China yep. factories shut down. E-commerce brands didn't have products to sell. When you don't have yep. products to sell, there's no reason to optimize for conversions. Yep. It hit us. That was a really rough quarter, but it was before everyone else in the United States got hit where COVID came to the United States and then things shut down, right? By the time things shut down and the uh, United States was kind of going all online, I mean, everybody did globally, but by the time it really affected us, we were ready to, to ride that wave and come out a better company. Amazing. And we were well positioned to do it because I had taken the actions instead of sitting on my decision for three months um, and burning through really? cash. I was now had cash that I could reinvest in the right That's way brilliant. moving forward. Uh, so that was something that I, you know, anytime anyone asked me about recession, I'm like, this is what you have to do. 
Um, who knows? Like you said, there might be headwinds. It might be recession. Who knows? Um, have that plan now because it's going to be rough when it hits. Uh, if it does, I'm not suggesting it will. I'm just saying if it does, you want to plan. That's one of the most brilliant ideas ever where you take out the emotion, you take out the recency bias, like all these things that can, that are just almost impossible to ignore, right? Like when you're in the moment, like, unless you have some sort of grounding, like time capsule, you can go back to him like, Oh, I was making clearer decisions. It's really challenging to make those in the moment where it's like everything around you is burning down. You're like, everything's going to be fine. Why is it going to be fine? Because I made that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And to be fair, there's a lot of upside that's still happening, right? Like I think Poshmark just got bought for like 1.5 billion or something like that. Like there's still money being thrown around. Like liquid deaths over 700 million. It's a water company. Like there's still, there's still things happening to your point. So it's not like this is set in stone, but uh, I love that. What what a water company needs 700 million for. I'll never figure out, but I think, you know what? (laughs) Good on them. I'm glad that they made it happen. Um, But uh, I mean, I will say you have you have to be insane to be selling bottled beverages direct to consumer on the internet. That is the hardest product to sell. I mean, you could ask so many people that have done it over the years. And I'm just like, that is that is tough. You're selling a heavy product. It's reusable. Yes. Meaning like you're going to get reorders, et cetera. But like you're you're trying to ship that product. That is insane. It like, ain't it. It's it ain't it. Ship. Let's not ship water across the globe. But yeah. you know, uh, people do it, and I, more power to people who make it happen. I look at there yeah. are a lot of those entrepreneurs that I look at, and I'm just like, you know, you look at like um, Hugh from from Ugly. Um, yep. You know, he shut it down because it's a tough business, right? But very I mean, hard. he's he's. So uh, very you know, hard. I look up to Hugh because he was real about the struggle and he was successful yep. for a while. Um, and, yep. uh, but it's just, it's a tough business. Um, no, no it's doubt. Tough. tough gig. Yeah, for there, for sure. And I think what I'm coming around to a little bit, I've been a little bit of a, a retail slash wholesale bearer um, mm-hmm. is that I think that's actually the next evolution for D to C where I think it's all coming back around where, you might have this on-ramp to D2C to get your either product market fit or proof of concept. And then you figure out how you can get to retail stores because eventually those margins catch up where it's actually cheaper just to ship freight to John's Walmart or John's Costco or John's Whole Foods. And then you mass distribute from there than getting paper cutted for nickel nickel and dimed or pick and pack rates of those margins start to shrink in D2C. And I was actually pretty astonished with that. I've talked to like three or four people now um, and they're like, yeah, once you do it right, your retail margins are actually um, be better than your, your D2C margins, which is something yeah. that kind of is counterintuitive to me. But um, all the big operators said that that's, that's really the pathway if you can start to get well, and, and it also getting, brings getting a back. Bit of, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, I was no, getting back to optimization a little bit on that. Like yep. DTC allows you to test. It allows you to test messaging, ah. test new products. Yep. It allows you to find, cool. uh, you know, what is going to work in retail. And once you know you That's have brilliant. a winner on something, then take that to retail, right? But brilliant. going straight to retail is is a really hard gig. Um, and so yep. I, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that you should optimize the heck out of your site and your product and your descriptions and everything else. Yep. Not just because I run a, and own a CRO firm, but because that can have other implications that can really show you a great return on that investment down the line. I totally agree with you. So well put. 
Ah, one of my favorite value add segments ever, John. I love it. I love it. All right. Are you ready for the rapid fire? Uh, hit me up. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. TikTok, overrated, underrated. In terms of e-commerce, underrated. Uh, in terms of entertainment value, uh, underrated. In terms of usefulness, overrated. Um, I'm not on TikTok. I don't have it because I don't want to spend. I don't want to lose my life on TikTok. And let's be honest, once you once you open TikTok, you're not getting off. That algorithm is good. Uh, They know how you're wired, and and I'm not playing that game. Um, Uh, Yeah, so I don't have time for for TikTok. So that's. But look, if I if I owned an e-commerce brand, um, and those that I'm invested in. One of the things I look at is how successful have you been on TikTok? Because yep. that is a very, you know, if the algorithm is as good as it is, it, let's be honest, it is, uh, then it, is. it should help a brand to really quickly know if it has an audience. And so those, yep. those brands that see some spike from TikTok are ones that you know there's something there. If a brand has been on TikTok for a handful of months and is putting some effort towards it, right? You can't just like, you know, phone it in. But if you're putting some effort towards it and you're not seeing it picked up at all, then you probably have a product market fit problem. Yeah, no, super well put. Um, the spinning wheel. So like the the spinning wheel thing that pops up on sites. Uh, I know you're, you're a pop, you're not a pop-up guy, but is that overrated or underrated? Uh a hundred percent overrated uh don't do it that's all i have to say just don't do it um people people know that it's bullshit uh and beyond that um what do people use it for what's the number one i'm, I'm gonna ask you this like what's the number one reason people do that what do they offer through that to, yeah pretty much either discounts usually or some sort of like I mean, discounts, I'd say, is probably yeah. the number one answer. Dis- Discounting is not optimization. It's margin drain. And Ooh, in addition to that, discounting is the lazy, the lazy path for a marketer. It just is. Right. If you're doing op- – if you're, if you're discounting as a way to get sales, you are on a hamster wheel you're not going to get off of because you have now like trained that. new visitors to your site that your products are not worth what you're charging for them. They are worth whatever discount. That price you've offered in addition to that they never want to pay retail price again right so what are they going to do they're going to come back in an incognito browser give you that aol.com email address from their childhood (laughs) and get that discount again that's what's going to happen and then and then what look at the downstream effects of that now you have a shitty email list right because you've got the same client and a customer in there three four times and every time they've gotten the discount they're not opening your emails, but Clavio is sure charging you to send them. Um, so, yep. you know, you start looking at all these downstream effects. It just, it really messes you up. So the first thing we do with our clients is like, what's your discounting strategy? And, you know, that. we're like, please, please stop doing it. Let's find a way to get you off of this. Now, you, it's hard to rip the bandaid, right? A lot of times you do need to ease out of it, but um, yeah, discounting. Uh, not not good for margins, not good for sustainability, um, and Wheelio and and all of those anchor. type of things. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, um, anything that you're doing around discounting, pop ups, wheels, whatever, um, think twice about it. So well put. Being tall, overrated, underrated. 
underrated. I would still say underrated. Um, <laughs> like I said, even the it, plane like, trips, it, huh? The plane trips, even the, the plane cars, trips. It's like... uncomfortable at times. The number of times I've hit my head on stuff and like I don't know. <laughs> but here's the reality: is like uh, I love I, I love playing basketball. I can reach most objects that you know. My wife is five hey, four. Yeah. She can't she can't reach anything. Um, you know, I, it's um, I don't know. I would say I would say underrated. Amazing. Um, I know you are a basketball aficionado. The 1992 Dream Team at the Olympics, overrated, underrated? Underrated. It would never be a better team. Never be a better think, team, right? I didn't no, – Chuck I, Daly coached that. I didn't even realize that. Like, what yeah. a team. I mean, it's just insanity. Yeah. I think the the Redeem team, as they called it, might be a close second. Yeah. But um, one of the best things about that initial Dream Team – was just the practices. If you've ever watched, yep. go on YouTube and search for, there's video of them practicing. And you've got like Magic Johnson going after Larry Bird, going after Michael Jordan. And they're just, they're <laughs> hammering insane. each other. And it's like, there is no competition at the Olympics or anywhere in the world that was going to be harder than that practice. Right? Yep. So when they stepped outside, it was like child's play. It was just like, let's go just take their candy because we've already had the hardest practice we'll ever have. Uh, couldn't agree with you more. I think it was like a 30-point like average differential in the game. Like mm-hmm. It was just chaos. And really cool little anecdote there was the reason – like Michael Jordan was wrecked. He was super tired, blah, blah, blah. And the reason he wanted to go play was because he wanted to see how other people practice. Yeah. He was such a big mm-hmm. – like stickler in terms of putting it all out there and practice. And he wanted to see how all these other killers practiced. Um, No, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Portland overrated, underrated. Um, Well, I would say traditionally under right now over. Okay. Um, okay. Traditionally people have forgotten about Portland and, um, but I think it's, it's having some challenges right now. I won't lie. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of great people move, um, out a lot of great folks out of the startup and tech communities um, yeah. have kind of given up on Portland and uh, yeah. there's there's a lot of political mess here in Portland right now um, that yeah. you know there's no easy answers for but there are people yeah. working to change it I'd st- I'm still here um, yep. you know uh, I could easily move but I choose to stay and do I think it's going to get better I do but I think right now it's uh, it's having a bit of a, a rough patch. But overall, yep. and I would if you asked me that question pre-COVID, I, I would have said, you know, definitely underrated. Um, the food yep. here is amazing. Uh, World class beer. If you're into IPA, yep. I mean, this is IPA heaven. Yep. Um, coffee is just ridiculous here. Um, yeah. You know, access to ecosystems uh, like you're saying, where you can go yeah, to pretty yeah. much any ecosystem you want, and within yeah. two to three hours drive. That's yeah. It's very California-esque in that sense. Exactly. And you're on the West Coast in one of the most beautiful places on the West Coast. And you can easily, I mean, I fly down to to California all the time and it's a day trip. It's not a problem. Um, So Yeah. yeah. Totally with you. Um, Google Optimize, overrated, underrated? 100% under. Um, They have come in and eaten the lunch of like VWO. Um, yep. you know, we don't, I haven't seen a client of ours come in using VWO in two, three years. Um, yep. everybody comes in who would have normally have been paying for VWO is now using optimize. Uh, yep. and 
you know, you look at that same trend line where um, Optimizely went 100% enterprise. They were just like, yep. you know what, we're not going to win this cheap game, you know, the 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 low end market. Let's just go straight for enterprise. And and you know, uh, we first started working with Xerox. They were on an Optimizely plan that was uh, 129 or 99 bucks a month, and Optimizely was like. <laughs> They were like, we will not change this plan. We were like, we want more tests. Like, you know, you have a big site. We could be doing more. And they were like, we can't change this because Optimizely came back and they said, if you make any changes to your account, it is now like 15 grand a month. And they were like, <laughs> we're paying 129 or whatever it was. Like, we're not changing that. And I was like, okay, that's fair. So, but Optimize. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, that's crazy. You think about Xerox paying that. You're just like, yeah. If I was that salesperson, I'd be like, yeah, you don't do anything because I'm I'm making you pay. Um, but yeah, I think Google Optimize it only gets better. It continually gets better. Uh, I remember talking with the product manager of that tool uh, four or five years ago, and they just been starting it out. They gave us early access to check it out, and uh, I was uh, impressed at the time. And I also knew like this is where it's going to go because th- it ties into analytics so well and it's free yeah. and it's Google's name. I mean, Google has how much resources, yeah. you know, like they're going to. Yeah. Uh, so and now if you look at VWO, uh, VWO is trying to get more into the consulting side. They think that's where they're going to make the play is a consulting for, for CRO that has a tool as well. So, yeah, no, totally tracking. Um, working with fortune 500, even fortune 100 companies in your case, mm. overrated or underrated? Mm-hmm. Underrated. Um, it's mm. the same amount of effort as a, as a brand doing 1 million is if a brand doing a hundred million, um, same amount of meetings, same amount of, you know, same line of thinking, but you uh, yeah. have a lot more resources to play with. So, um, I love that fully underrated. I mean, I think CRO, we talked about things becoming commoditized a little bit. Uh, if you look yep. at DTC Twitter, CRO is becoming commoditized. You look at all, everybody, yep. I mean, there, how many individuals on there? How many people saying, oh, I'll optimize your site for a thousand bucks a month. Um, the only people that are being kind of, I don't know, I don't want to, I'm going to say tricked, but it's, that sounds bad. But like the only people who are, are paying that are brands who shouldn't be doing optimization anyways. So, so um, they're just too, they're too small. I mean, if you can't afford 10,000 bucks a month to do CRO, you shouldn't be doing CRO because you're not at the stage where you're mature enough to really take advantage of it. Um, so, so I think that the, the reality is that that's a lose lose for both the service provider who's working on those because they're, they're churning their wheels to make a thousand bucks a month on a client and that client's not going to get the results they want. So they're going to churn out pretty quickly too. Um, best way to solve that, just go after the enterprise clients, just start working with them. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that advice. Uh, okay. A few more questions. Favorite meal and why? Favorite meal. Um, I am, uh, a huge fan. There's a place in Portland. I mentioned the food here is amazing. Well, there's this amazing Mexican restaurant called Porqueno, which means why not? Uh, Porqueno has a, the best margarita I've ever had. And uh, B has uh, just the food there is just it's a it's an 11 out of 10. It's just amazing. And it's like you can get in and out of there with two margaritas and and have spent like 30 bucks. It's just ridiculous. Uh, It's so good all day. It has a line every time you go, um, but it's so worth it. 
so worth it. It was, uh, we were eating there. They were one of the only places that was doing takeout really quickly during COVID, meaning like they, yep. they just immediately converted to, to takeout only and had, had yeah. the right setup to do it quickly. And uh, we were there two to three times a week. It was just like, you know, this is, this is amazing. So that's my I favorite. I love it. I'll have, when I come out, I'll have to put it to the test because we do some uh, pretty good Mexican out here in Austin yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, favorite place to travel true. to and yeah. why? Um, New York city. Well, actually, you know, I take that oh. back. I would say, um, my wife is from the North fork of long Island. So, okay. um, most people know long Island, but, and they know the Hamptons, which is the South fork, but yep. very few people know yeah, yeah. the North fork, which is basically the Hamptons without the cost. Um, and Ooh. it's a whole bunch of wine vineyards and wineries. And, uh, we go out there, uh, every summer for about two weeks and um, just post up for a couple of weeks and hang out and um, sit by a pool, go to the into the bay, go on boat, you know, hit up Shelter Island, all the fun stuff that there is to do out there. And uh, it's uh, you have all your conveniences without the the mess of like, uh, you know, being in in New York City. Um, I do love yeah. New York City, though. I think like if there was one place I regret not living in my life, it, it you know, and I think that's probably passed for me at this point, having a child, yeah. et cetera. But uh, I wish I had went and just like rented that broom closet in New York City when I was right out of college and just dove right in. I, could. I, I echo those sentiments as well. I, I love New York City and I'm kind of in that same boat of like, I, I'm too old now, man. I would burn up there. I can't keep up yeah. with that kind of pace, but it's, it is one yeah. of my favorite spots in the world. It's, it's, it really is incredible. Okay, last question. If you could invite anybody to dinner, three people to dinner, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would they be? So you, there's a four-person table. You're sitting at the head. Who's getting the invite from John? Um, Michael Jordan, for one. Love um, it. Probably Barack Obama, two. Love it. Um, and three, um, John D. Rockefeller. I'm, I'm just reading a uh, Titan. Yeah. 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 If, uh, there's a great book, um, and it's called the Rockefeller habits and, uh, it's a precursor actually to EOS, um, from something called scaling up, uh, as it's been called now, but it used to be called the Rockefeller habits. And, uh, a lot of what's in EOS is comes from what Rockefeller did with his team back in the day How interesting. and the communication methods and the meeting cadence that Daily stand-up. He did daily stand-up was a big thing for him. So oh, um, there's a lot of that stuff that's in there. And it's it's just crazy. It's really well done. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, actually, there's a great podcast called Founders, and I'm on the yes. episode that he's doing of John. You know, yeah, you know it. It's great. Oh, right? I love that. I, I was a subscriber, and now it's free. So go check it out because I think he's doing an ad-supported version now. Um, yeah. And I've been a subscriber. So uh, James Sowers on my team bought it for me as a, as a Christmas gift a number of years back and like, um, yeah. I, he's like, you got to listen to this and it's amazing. So it's a great podcast. He's it's, it's a great podcast. So shout yeah. out there. Uh, John, this has been amazing. I can't believe we, we we're six minutes over the hour. So let's get this wrapped up. Um, how can All people right. follow you? Are you guys taking clients? This time's yours, my friend. Yeah. Uh, well the good.com pretty simple. Um, I'm making a big push on Twitter the last handful of months. So at John McDonald, J O N no H uh, MacDonald, uh, and, um, pretty easy to find there. And then, uh, 
yeah, always, always taking clients, happy to see if there's a good mutual fit. Um, go buy my book. Um, you can go to the good.com slash book uh, and see all my books and, and buy them. Um, and if you have questions, just email me. J-O-N at thegood.com. Nobody's abused it in the past. Uh, so thank you for not abusing it. But hit me up if you have questions. I'm happy to chat. Amazing. Yes, go buy the book. It is also on Audible. Um, go to the website. Mm-hmm. See if you need some CRO. Uh, John can hook you up. And then if you do want to get more involved in Triple Whale, we are triplewhale.com. We are on the Bird app at Triple Whale. And then we have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. And I believe when this drops, the Beluga Bash and Palooza will be out. So if you go to our site, we'll be hosting uh, a pickleball tournament here in Austin on November 1st called the Beluga Bash. That's just belugabash.com. And then Palooza, we are doing a creative event out here on the 2nd and 3rd as well. So you can, if you need an excuse to visit Austin, come visit us for those. And then, oh, one last thing. We have a Black Friday Cyber Monday guide. That's triplewhale.com slash BFCM. John, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the flexibility on the scheduling. I really appreciate it. Um, I can't wait for this to get out to the to the peeps. I think the listeners are really going to dig this one. So, uh, again, thank you so much for your time. And then if you're ever out here in Austin, give me a shout. Um, we're, we'd love to host you. Yeah, same in Portland. Hit me up. We'll go get that uh, amazing margarita together. Oh, will do. I will take you up on that. All right, everybody. That's another You're Not Your Row, as in the books. If you do enjoy these episodes, share it with a friend. Leave us a review on iTunes that helps spread the gospel of awesomeness that we're trying to do here, or the good, if you will, to, to keep in the parlance of our good friend here, John. Um, and then thanks again, John. Really appreciate it. And we'll see everyone on the flip. Bye-bye.